Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Q. Now, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. We're in our cling series, and I hope you've enjoyed this series. Has anybody enjoyed this series? Really? Because it's killing me, man. It's uh, it's challenged me. Uh, it's encouraged me, too. But this has been one of the more, I was telling my wife, I feel like this is one of the more challenging sermon series I've ever done. Because it's caused me to do, to, to ask myself the question, am I clinging to Jesus over everything else? And when you ask questions like that, and you ask questions like that sincerely, God's going to answer you. And you may find yourself disappointed with his answer. And you know what your responsibility is once you find out that you're disappointed with your answer? To change your response and start acting in accordance with the will and the word of God so that you can say, I am clinging only to Jesus. So we started this conversation three weeks ago. This will be the fourth one with a sermon titled, Cling to Jesus Over Your uh, Discomfort over your persecutions, over the things that hold you down and oppress you, whatever that looks like. Jesus himself said, you will be hated because I was hated. You will be persecuted because I was persecuted. For no slave is above his master. And so we should stand on Jesus, recognizing that he is the anchor. No matter what happens in our life, our responsibility is to cling to Jesus. Let him hate you for Jesus' sake. There's no better reason to be hated. There's no better reason than to be persecuted. There's no better reason even to be put to death than the name of Jesus. Because as we talked about, he's our only eternal hope anyway. And I don't want to re-preach that sermon, although I kind of do want to re-preach that sermon. The second sermon was cling to Jesus over our tribes. The reason the church, in my mind, isn't able to gain the ground that it should be gaining is because we're too tribalized. We've decided to divide ourselves by politics, by race, by denomination. We can't all decide to all do the same thing, which is to just glorify the name of the Lord and cling to Jesus. If we could all get on the same page, dismiss our tribes and cling to Jesus, we could move the kingdom forward. Amen? After that, which was last week, we talked about... Whew, I've out-talked my breath already. I just got started. You know it's going to be a good one when you start talking, talking past your own breath. <coughs> cling to Jesus over self. And I had one very simple message last week. You ain't God. Cling to Jesus because you ain't that big a deal. And I know in a self-centric world, that's a hard message to hear. But it's absolutely imperative that we hear it and that we understand it, especially moving into this week's, which is cling to Jesus over your idols. Because sometimes... We're the idol. We need to set down. Amen. So I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about that today. Clinging to Jesus over our idols. But first, I'm going to tell you a story about four brothers. These four brothers were very intelligent. They all decided once they had grown up that they were going to go to university, and each one of them were going to study a different science, a different biology. And they were going to master those biologies. And so they, they take their separate roads. They go to their individual universities. They spend years and years of study. And then they come back together. 
And when they come back together, they start talking and louding how, how successful they are and what they've done and what they've managed to learn and what they've accomplished. And the first brother says this. He goes, I am able to take a bone from any animal and upon that bone build flesh, the musculature, the, the cardiac system, the pulmonary system from a simple bone. And the other three brothers said, well, that's pretty impressive. But the second brother says, I can take that which you have created, musculature, and I can add skin to it. I can create skin on that muscle and hair. So the first brother builds from the bone musculature. The second brother builds skin and hair over the bone. The third brother says, well, that's pretty impressive. But it, I have mastered the ability to grow and create limbs on a body that has musculature, skin, and hair. Well, the fourth brother says, well, all of that's pretty impressive, but let me tell you, right now all you've got is just a lump of flesh and hair and skin and bone. I have mastered the ability to breathe life and create life in an otherwise dead object. And so they, they decide that they're going to test or prove their ability. So they go trouncing off into the jungle, and they come across of looking for a bone. They find one. It just happens to be the bone of a lion's femur. And they pick it up, and they try to prove their abilities. In fact, they do prove their abilities. The first brother adds musculature to it. The second brother adds skin and hair to it. The third brother adds limbs to it. And then the fourth brother stands over it and breathes life into it. Why do I tell you this story? Because once that lion had received life and everything it needed to sustain life, it stood up, shook its mighty mane, and devoured them. Why do you care about that? Because all of us have the ability to create things in our own life that can destroy and devour us. And those things are idols in our life. We are not that big a deal. There was a reason I taught the self-lesson first before I talked about the idol lesson because we're not that big a deal. What is an idol? The definition of the idol is pretty, pretty shallow, really. It's a graven image worshipped as God. Well, that could be anything. What does that mean? I don't like that definition because it leaves too much to the imagination. Instead, I like this one. Whatever we treasure more than God, whatever drives our thoughts and actions. Oh, wait a minute. Because it's a lot easier for us to say, I don't have a Buddha in my house that I'm bowing down to. But all of us, at one point or another in our life, has allowed something other than God to motivate us and encourage action. Those are idols in our life, and they need to be set down. What are you concerned with more than you're concerned about God? That's an idol in your life. It doesn't have to be a graven image. In fact, it could be you. It could be your workplace. It could be your success. It could be your family. It could be your culture. It could be whatever it is you determine to set in front of God that motivates and drives your passion and action. When we submit to these types of idols in our life, any idol in our life, what we do is we dull our spiritual hearing and it causes us to harden our hearts. 
And God knew that. He wants to speak to his people. He wants to be present in the lives of his people. But when we have idols that outweigh God in our life, it dulls our ability to hear what he's saying to us. And so he told the Israelites, what I need to tell you today, stop. In Exodus 20, verses 2 through 6, he says this to the Israelite people. And this is point one if you're taking notes that way. Clinging to Jesus means to have no other gods. This is the command of God. I am the Lord your God. It's pretty simple. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's all of us. We have a God who delivered us from slavery, took us out of evil. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commands. I'm going to talk to you first about removing or the command to not have idols in your life. God makes three very specific statements here. We don't have the right to have idols in our life because there's already a God in the universe. He says very specifically, I am the Lord. If you're sitting here and you've made a profession of Jesus Christ as your Lord, Believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the word of God says that you are saved, which means that you don't have responsibility for your, well, not responsibility, you don't have the, the right to determine your own destiny. You don't have the right to pursue your own passions outside of the will of God. You don't have the right to take action outside the word of God because God is Lord. You don't get to choose. We are slaves to righteousness. Amen? Because he is Lord, which means that he's omni. He's omnipresent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipotent. Well, what does that mean? That means he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's all places. He is Lord. He is strong enough to sustain you and wants to. He is all-knowing. There's nothing that you've ever done, nothing that has ever happened since the beginning of time, that God isn't consciously aware of, that he isn't intimately familiar with. I need you guys to think about that next time you decide that you're going to enter into your dark closet space and think you're hiding from God. Because you're not hiding anything from an all-knowing, all-seeing God, an ever-present, omnipresent God. We need to maintain a God consciousness. God said, you don't have the right to have an idol because I am Lord, not you. I'm transcendent. I'm all-powerful. I'm all-knowing, not you. I am Lord. I feel like I could just repeat this and say it again and again and again and again because I need us to understand that we aren't that big a deal. God is Lord. We are not, which means he is first. Colossians chapter 1 states that he is preeminent. 
as Lord, He has to be preeminent in our life, which means He has to have the first place in our life. First place in my thoughts, first place in my actions, first place in my plans, first place in my relationships. And we should filter our life through, is God first place? Is God Lord of our life? Because this is the command. He is Lord. You shall have no other, no idols, period. I am God. I am jealous. And there are consequences for those who don't listen. Oh, Pastor Jim, you're yelling again. I know. You need to understand, I don't yell from anger. I yell from passion and excitement. I praise God that I serve a God that's transcendent above all things so he can see all things that has first place in all things because he created all things is all powerful all knowing because he I know in that because of his sovereignty created in all of those things that I can have peace that he can be Lord in my life without concern for my personal safety or future God is good but he doesn't just say I am the Lord, don't have any other gods because I am Lord, he legitimately says no other gods, no other focus of worship. What have you placed in front of God in your life? I'm not going to elaborate on that question. I want you to sit on it, though. I want you to write it down. I want you to meditate on it. What have you placed in front of God in your life. If, he's, if He is preeminent, if He is first, what have you placed first in front of Him? Many of us place our jobs first. Many of us place our spouses first. Many of us place sports first or our love for sports first. Many of us put our service to God first, which I know sounds kind of contrary, but listen. If you're only coming in here to serve God but not be willing to make God Lord, you're wasting your time and mine. Go home and sleep in. Because all the service in the world, all the giving in the world, all the preaching in the world can't save you, can't save me. You know what saves me? The fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and I have no other gods but Him, that He has a preeminent place in my life. And you know why this is important? Not only because God says so, but because there's consequences when we don't. He said, I will put a curse on your children to the third and fourth generations. And we see that in America right now. Because we have determined to take God out of everything. We see that in America right now. My great-grandfather. Well, not my great-grandfather, but most great-grandfathers during his generation led their families to church where God-fearing people loved others, obeyed the Word of God and the will of God, which are technically the same thing. And then the next generation, they gave the Lord less lordship. And then what happened? Then the next generation, less lordship. And the next generation, less lordship. And now we're reaping the harvest of a generation that doesn't believe there even is a God. Or if there is a God, that he's not the God of the Scripture. That they can make a God out of whoever it is they determine to make God out of. 
You know why that is? My pastor used to say this all the time. Because what one generation will do in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. You're all, man, you know what? I, I'm just going to miss church this time because I have a ball because the, because the Predators play or the, the Titans play today at noon. And I, I don't want to miss the, the parking lot party. So I'm, I'm going to miss church this time. God will understand. God doesn't understand. Or you know what? It's my, it's my anniversary, and so we're going to sleep in, get our anniversary on. You know what I'm saying. God will understand. God won't understand because he's Lord, and he's not sharing his glory with anyone. And then when you do that from time to time, your kids watch you do that from time to time, and because of your lack of conviction, they don't have any conviction at all. Amen? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. I need us to understand that God says, I am Lord. No other gods but me. And there's consequences if you do. Clinging to Jesus means making God Lord. Period. Secondly, Clinging to Jesus means clearing out the idols. I could sit here and I could talk to you all day long about you shouldn't have idols in your life. Those three points, I could make a sermon on each three of those three points. I just gave you those subpoints. But the fact of the matter is, I've said all I need to say, which is what the Word of God says. But there's a problem. Some of us already have idols in our life. Bible says don't, don't have idols. What do I do, Pastor Jim, if I have idols in my life? I would, be, I would be doing you a great disservice if I walked from the pulpit right now and said, okay, so don't have any idols. I need to show you and expose to you how to remove and destroy the idols that you already have. Amen? And I want to do that using four points. I know I gave you three, but I've got four. Three, four things we need to do to get rid of idols in our life. King Hezekiah, if you're not familiar with King Hezekiah, said he was a, he was a, a man of God, that he pleased the Lord. He was a king of Judah in a time when kings didn't really please God that often. And so when he, took, when he took control, when he assumed the throne, 2 Kings 18 verse 4 says this, He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah, he also, which are all places of idol worship. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpents that Moses had made for until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called the Nehushtan. Now, if you'll turn to Second Chronicles chapter 29, he did all of these things, but he didn't get crowned one day and go destroy all those things the next day. He led the people to destroy the idols. 
by taking steps to ensure they were strong enough and able to destroy those idols. That's what I hope to walk you through. He, Hezekiah, the first thing he did is made sure the leaders, the people, and the priests were all consecrated according to Second Chronicles 29, 5-11. I'm not going to read that. But he made sure that everyone was consecrated unto the Lord. First thing he did after, after assuming the crown is he consecrated the people. Now somebody's in here going, I'm not sure what consecrated means, and that's okay. I had to look it up once too. It means set aside. It means to be made holy. So the first thing he did is he told them, he called them to holiness. You need to be holy as I am holy. I expect, there's an expectation that God has the right to have on us. And that is to pursue Him in excellence according to His Word. Why do I always say, read your Word, read your Word, read your Word? Because if you want to know what holiness looks like, you want to know what the heart of God looks like, what He expects from you, you're going to find it in the Word of God. Now, it might be confirmed after you read it through a person or the Spirit of God in you, but you're going to find it first in the Word of God. This is the will of God for your life. And the will of God for your life is to pursue holiness all the days of your life. If I pursue holiness, if I chase after God, I won't have time to chase after anything else. The reason he told them, consecrate yourself, is because we've been called to holiness. Now, there's, I get this all the time. And I think it's more of an excuse, but that's okay. I get this all the time. Well, I can't never get holy in this life, completely, perfectly holy. And I, don't th I think that's probably true. I don't know that we're going to be perfectly holy until we're in the presence of that which is holy. But that doesn't exonerate us from the responsibility to pursue holiness. The Bible says if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you ought to walk as Christ walked. I fail. Well, praise God for grace. Well, I didn't get it done. Well, God's still merciful. Well, I did something I shouldn't have done. God still loves you. But you know what? You need to make that right. Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. You're not saved by your works. But they prove that you're saved. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? The first thing Hezekiah said when he told them before he led them to destroy their idols is he called them back to God. Be who God created you to be. Do what God called you to do. The second thing he did after he consecrated them is he called them back to reverence in their worship. 28 through 30 reads like this. While the whole again, I'm still in Second Chronicles chapter 29. While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang, and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now, at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were present, who did this? The king and who? All, all, all that were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. What's the similarity in all three of these verses? 
they worshipped. They came to a place of worship. In two of these, it said they came to a place of bowing down to worship. You know what we need to do? We need to get ourselves back to a place of reverential worship. You guys have all seen it. Maybe you've been guilty of it. We have worship in here. I'm going to talk about this temple first, the house of God first. People come in here and they're worshiping. They're worshiping like this. Here's my coffee. Oh, my coffee's dry. I'm going to go fill up my coffee. They come back in. You think that's what the king of the universe deserves from you? We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. The Bible says that the, they worshiped and bowed down, which means that sometimes you've got to put your face on the carpet and realize that you are not a big deal. At some point, you're going to have to come to an, you're going to need to come to an altar. Can I tell you, and I haven't communicated this in a while, I built these altars with my hand for one purpose. Not because there's any mystic, magic thing that happens here, but sometimes there's, there's a place where we need a determined place to connect with God. And so because of that, these altars are always open. If I'm in the middle of preaching and the Word of God breaks your heart and you need to come here and cry on this altar, cry on this altar. What you have going on between you and God is much more important than what I'm saying to you at the time, I promise. During worship, if you there's not an invitation to come up here, but you want to come up here, come up here. Because what God's doing in you is more important than what I'm saying to you. That comes from reverence. How do I hear from God? I don't know. Maybe be reverential enough, humble enough to recognize you might need something from God. Because reverence is derived from humility. And a person who's arrogant, who isn't humble, can expect to receive nothing from God. You know why? Because they're too ignorant and arrogant to think they need something from God. I don't know about you, but I've been saved since 2006, been preaching here since 2005, raised up in the ministry, or 2016, raised up in the ministry in 2012. And I still need God every day. I still ask God for humility every day. I still pursue reverence every day. But you know what? There are days I don't get it right, too. Pastor Rick will tell you. Some days I come in here, man, my shoulders are back. I'm, I'm feeling like the man. We just had a rocking service a couple of days ago. God is so good. He used me so powerful. Look at how big a deal I am. And God says, you better check yourself. I'm going to put you on your back, which he's done. And I praise God for it. My whole point is we have to get to a place as they got to a place. I don't know what's going on there, but ain't much we can do about it, so we're moving on. There ain't, we have to get to a place where we recognize that God deserves our worship. Not just in this place, but in your temple. This is the New Testament. 
You're the temple of the Spirit of God. You ever ask yourself, what am I subjecting the Holy Spirit to? Do you know the Spirit of God lives in you? The Spirit of God lives in you. What are you subjecting Him to see? What are you subjecting Him to listen to? We've got to do better. I've got to do better. I'm trying to be transparent with you. I struggle in these areas too. But it doesn't mean it re I'm released from my responsibility because I'm up here on the platform and you're not. I have a greater responsibility because I'm up here on the platform and you're not. So we have to be people of reverence. And he called them to reverence, to worship. Third thing he did is he called them to remember. You want to break the idols in your life? Set yourself apart to God. Build reverence in your life for the things of God. And then in 30 verse 1, remember the goodness of God. Now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. And so just history lesson, the Israel was split into a northern and southern kingdom with Rehoboam, and it was still split. And he sent letters to both the northern and the southern kingdom with a request. Come have Passover dinner with us. We've cleaned out the temple. We've consecrated ourselves. We've moved ourselves back to a place of reverence. Will you come celebrate Passover with us? You know what he wasn't doing? He wasn't calling them into fellowship. He was calling them to remember. Passover is a feast of remembrance that God is capable of saving, taking care of, watching over, and providing for his people. You know what's not able to do that? The idols in your life. Everything else will fail you. My pastor used to tell me all the time, he preached a sermon, one of the top three sermons he ever preached to me. I say to me, it, it felt like he was preaching to me. He was preaching to several thousand. It was called Reignite Your Passion. And in that, he talked about how to reignite your passion. He said, one of the ways you can do it, and I've done it many times, is to go back to the place where you were saved, sit there, and remember the goodness of God and what he's done over you and in you. I'm blessed in that I can still get to that physical spot. If you can't, sit down somewhere quietly and remember how good God is. Amen? And finally, after having consecrated them, called them back to hum humility and reverence, after asking them to remember the goodness and the blessings of God, he asked them, to ensure that they didn't they didn't worship the blessing over the blesser. I'm going to say that again slow. Don't worship the blessing over the blesser. And Second Kings, the text that I that I gave you, verse four, said he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke into pieces. This is the piece I want you to pay attention to. He also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. 
For until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. If you're not familiar with this story in Numbers, the people had rebelled against God, spoken ugly and indifferently and irreverently against God, and God sent serpents. And serpents bit them, and a bunch of them were dying. And they went to God, and they said, Give us, or they went to Moses and said, Go on behalf of us before God and make intercession for us, that he will provide a way out of this death. And God told him, he said, Raise have made a bronze serpent, a fiery serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever looks up at me, whoever looks up at it, will be saved. Of course, he did that. He made the bronze serpent. Nehushtan, by the way, just means bronze serpent. He made the bronze serpent. The people that looked up at it were saved. And people being what people are, they took it off that pole. I could see them wrapping it making sure it was safe, this blessing. They moved it into the temple and started worshiping it instead of the God that provided it. How many of us have done that? God blessed me with a beautiful wife, but she's not God to me. God blessed me with a pastorate I don't deserve, but I don't worship it over the God that blessed me with it. I want you to take your life and run your life through these things and recognize that we cling to Jesus. And this is the final point. When we realize that Jesus should be the focus of our worship. I talked about the Nehushtan last on purpose. Because it was a type of Jesus. Jesus said so. In John chapter 3, we read this, 14 through 16. As Moses lifted, this is Jesus talking, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be, lift, be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think this is incredibly profound. The blessing isn't to be worshipped. The blessing is to lead us to Christ, to show us how awesome our God is, to show us that God can be trusted, to show God. We, we need to act in such a way to show God, as Angela said, that he can trust us. How do we do that? We do that by clinging to Jesus over our idols, consecrating ourselves, becoming people of humility, remembering the goodness of God, and setting aside the blessing, paying attention to the blesser who gave it to us. That's my prayer. I want you to take these four things. First, I want you to ask yourself from the first point, is God Lord of my life? Are there other passions that drive my action? And if there are, run whatever that is through these four filters and start working on destroying those Asherah poles, tearing down those sacred places in your life. And watch God show up because he's not going to share the spotlight with anyone else. Amen.